You're listening to Banter with Buck. Hi, everyone. I'm Marla Moore, Creative Strategy Director at Buck, and I'm joined today by Robin Canner. Robin is a creative director, designer, and writer who most recently served as the senior creative advisor to the Biden-Harris campaign. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Robin. It's good to see you. Good to see you. All right. So first and foremost, congratulations on directing a successful campaign to elect the 46th president of the United States, along with the first woman vice president this country has ever seen. What was it like being the senior creative advisor to these leaders? Um, it was amazing, um, life altering, exhilarating, exhausting, um, uh, it was every adjective you could think of in the books. Um, it was just like a real treat. Uh, it, was, it was a kick. Yeah. <laughs> so give us the gradient goods. What, what was the conceptual symbolism behind this campaign overall? And was there a favorite moment for you in the journey? Yeah. Um, so everything was, you know, pretty intensely thought out um, from the from the get go. Um, one of the things I was really happy about in the general election rebrand was everything just had purpose. Um, we didn't have any haphazard or decisions. Um, it was all real locked. Um, the gradient specifically came out of like a, a bunch of different things. Um, um, one of them being, you know, I just spent six months in El Paso, Texas with uh, Beto O'Rourke and, um, you know, the sky in El Paso is like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And, um, you know, uh, the sun sets basically right over um, uh, Ciudad Juarez, which is like maybe a block away from our uh, old HQ. Um, so you're really like deep in like the heart of like a border city. And the sunrises and sunsets were like surreal. Uh, they were just like, it was, um, it was like breathtaking um, how intense they felt. And I think it had something to do with the fact that like everything in El Paso, like the, the dirt, the ground, it's all, it's all tan. So the colors just sort of like radiate off of it. Um, and, you know, for me, what I noticed is that like a sunrise or a sunset, it's basically like a gradient. Um, and there's a, like, there's a ton of warmth to them. And, um, I was really obsessed with um, creating that warmth for the campaign. Um, so, you know, it was a mix of, of that sort of um, sunrise and sunset that I saw in El Paso. It was a mix of um, hearing conversations from people I knew that um, um, talked about seeing sunrises and sunsets. They, they just always described it as this really serene and luscious event. And I just wanted to add that to the campaign. I thought, you know, in the middle of a pandemic when we're all sort of isolated and alone, um, that could be a, a unifying factor. Like we could all just sort of have this, you know, um, serene exhale um, if, if we saw, you know, really well done natural gradients. Um, and uh, I just wanted to infuse that into the campaign as much as possible. I love it. That real world warmth that, yeah. that connects yeah. us regardless of where we are. Yeah. That's wonderful. And speaking of the pandemic, um, it's one thing to direct the creative of a presidential campaign, but it's another entirely to direct it during a pandemic. So what sort of pivots did your team have to make to navigate that challenge? And were there any unexpected benefits to what I'm assuming will be some remote work? Yeah, um, 
everything changed. Um, uh, you know, primary campaign, um, like the one we did in El Paso, um, uh, with Beto was um, remarkable. We were remarkable, but we also were in person. Um, so you just you build community in a different way. Um, there was always this uh, there was this like sort of hoedown bar that we'd go to on the weekends called a little bit of Texas. And you you really sort of build a family when you're in person on a campaign like that. Um, when you're not in person, you're remote, it's much harder to build a family. It's much harder to build a community. And you really have to force it. So um, we did a bunch of things to force that sort of family fun. Um, we would watch movies together on Hangouts. Um, you know, during the debates, we really um, practice intensely on how to do that um, because a, a debate had never been ran remotely before. Um, and historically speaking, like you know, if you go back on history, like you can pretty much guess how a candidate's going to answer their question. Versus Trump, who had just two wildly different debates the two times he debated us. And it, it just required like a lot of prep work and a lot of time that, that we needed to spend together. So um, yeah, the, the amount of time we just spent on Google Hangouts, like morning, evening, afternoon, you know, Karana and I sometimes would be on Hangouts at like 2, 3, 4 a.m. just going back and forth on design, um, um, especially near the end. Um, that being said, there was tons of benefits um, uh, to remote, not to the pandemic, obviously, but um, you know, to to being remote, it gave us the chance to hire differently. Um, uh, usually on campaigns, you know, people have to fly in and you know basically move their entire life to whatever city you're in, and it can be really hard for people, uh, and it creates sort of a barrier of entry into politics. Um, Whereas with remote, we were able to to hire people all across the country. Um, so Asia, our PM was in San Diego at the time I was in DC, now New York. But sometimes I'd be in Delaware working on um, the Queen stage design. You know, Carano was in Philadelphia. Um, Eric was uh, between Boston and DC. We were all sort of all over the place. Um, Julian, who who uh, uh, was a brand designer uh, doing opposition. Um, he was actually in Amsterdam. So um, uh, we really had a design team that could move 24 seven. And um, that was a real benefit, especially when it came down to um, uh, getting work done fast. I, I found that last month sleeping was um, sort of this enemy because I just couldn't accomplish enough if I slept. Um, so having Julian in Amsterdam helped a ton because you know it could be like, know midnight my time or 2 a.m my time and he would just be like sort of in the morning and i could be like can we get this done and then i'll check in at like four or five six a.m and um um then this machine can move um at, at the speed in which it needed to so um yeah for that remote was um very very helpful uh, it really is a, a full-time 24-7 job when you're in the, the final push of a campaign, I, I suppose. Yeah, it's but... all or nothing. It's very, um, <laughs> um, you know, one of the movies we watched together uh, was Rocky Three, And um, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that Rocky Three had many parallels to the presidential uh, cycle this, this year around. And um, yeah, it requires practice, training, like real, real intense, intense effort. Yeah. Well, we're so glad that you you went through that for, for this country. So I do also want to talk about how the Biden-Harris campaign evolved through more than just the pandemic. 
because we had a lot of key movements like Black Lives Matter undoubtedly impacting the look and feel of the creative that you were crafting day to day. So how did your approach and execution evolve to meet that moment? Yeah, so we were in the middle of the rebrand um, when everything in Minneapolis with uh, George Floyd happened. And um, so many intense things happened in that um, in that time period. Um, while I was in El Paso, I there was a mass shooting at the Cielo Vista Walmart and um, you know, 23 people were murdered. It was one of the most intense days of the entire political cycle. And um, I think when something like that happens and you've experienced it once already in the cycle, you can kind of feel the wave starting to, to come on you. And, you know, a couple of days before or a day before it really sort of got intense, I started to feel just the wave of the country. Um, and I remember talking with Karana about it and, um, um, just talking about what we need to do to visually be prepared for a moment. Um, and um, when Joe gave his speech that basically said enough is enough, um, I um, and, and Rob and, and Chronic folks wanted to make sure we, we just visually met that as, as tight as we could. And this serif at the time in the, in the primary election was sort of like a, uh, it's real delicate. It was real, um, um, it almost had like a fashion style to it. Um, it didn't have like a sturdy girth to it. And uh, I was really worried about putting the word enough in sort of a pretty um, serif. It just felt yeah. like it was going to not meet the moment. Um, and at that point, we knew that Mercury was going to be our, our typeface for our serif and Decimal was going to be our sans serif. The question was just when we were going to roll it out. And, you know, I remember emailing Jonathan Hafler like maybe two hours before we, we sort of updated our website with just that word enough. And, and letting him know that um, we were going to start rolling it out at that minute. And um, on a campaign, any move you do that shifts from your current trajectory is like susceptible to being written about. So I remember having you know conversations with the comms team about why we needed to do it and, and how it was important to frame that. Um, but uh, yeah, a large part of it came down to um, um, just wanting to, to meet that moment visually as, as strong as we could um, and made it feel like it was a, a firm stance. Um, so yeah, there was, um, there were many moments like that where you just, you really have to like take a step back out of the work, like see the country for, for what was happening and um, be able to respond to it um, in an emotionally accurate way. Wow. Yeah, even down to the minutia of the girth of typography in the campaign, yeah. knowing that level of scrutiny is there. Yeah, that's, that's intense. Yeah, it's, um, you know, one of the things I loved about our type treatments was that they were they were all tied in truth. Um, you know, Mercury comes from the written word. It was, it was used in Esquire. It was used in um, many newspaper publications. You know, decimal comes from wristwatches. So um, it, it was tied into the true, you know, truest time. Um, so the foundation was so strong when it came to the gradients and when it came to the typography, um, it just felt like it, it, the foundation being so strong gave us the chance to be so intentional with all of our decisions. And I think that intentionality um, um, created a, a sense of trust visually, um, which was um, paramount to, to voting. 
Love that. It's, it always helps to build from a strong foundation. Yeah. So, so I also want to talk about how your creative direction on the campaign also invited pop culture to the campaign conversation. Yeah. Can you speak to your Joe Perez collaboration and the ways yeah. that you sought to sort of bridge politics and pop culture? Yeah. Um, so, you know, once a week I had somebody come in and talk to the design team, um, um, basically through the general and it almost never was the designer. Um, the, you know, the people who came and talked was like, uh, you know, Garrett Conley, who, who wrote this book called Boy Erased around uh, conversion therapy. Um, Chris Walla, who um, I've known for years, um, but um, is most popularly known as a um, guitarist and producer for Death Cab. Um, um, Ryder Strong from um, sort of Boy Meets World fame uh, uh, came in and had like a, a real strong conversation about authenticity and um, screenwriting with the with the team. Um, so we were bringing in folks who um, uh, had interesting voices um, that weren't just straight design um, to come in and talk with us about the the work that we were making. And um, one of those people that I, I really wanted to come and talk um, was was Joe Perez um, because I just loved his work so much and I had been following it for a really long time. And, um, you know, when I was knee deep in the rebrand, really only Karana and Rob had seen it um, and which was great. I mean, they were amazing, but like not enough to feel really concrete about every single decision possibly that could go wrong. And, you know, coming from tech where everything was so tested to the minutia, um, yep there's just there's not that opportunity in politics like you roll out and, and that's the show um and there's a lot of parallels to that and and music and, and you know joe had worked on um cruel summer he had worked on jesus he had worked on life of pablo he had he had worked on all these pieces of design that had such a concrete and clean impact on culture and you know what i loved about them is they never walked anything back like especially you know when pablo came out and you know, it was such a strong visual voice um, and it took such a hit on the internet. Um, they never walked any of that back and it became sort of culture in a way and same for Jesus. Like there was all this sort of intentionality to the way Kanye and Virgil had been working and, and working with Joe. And um, I wanted to to feel that confidence. Um, so I had, I had emailed Joe Perez and I basically said like, yeah, like, this is sort of where I'm at with the rebrand. Nobody's really seen this. I know this is a position you've been in. You know, can we just get on a call so we can talk about like what this feels like? Um, and you know, Joe and I ended up having a three-hour conversation, um, which was very rare on the campaign. Very rare to even have that time. Um, but you know, we we talked for a few hours about you know what it meant to make that work for him and what it meant to make the work that I was doing. Um, and, and really sort of got into the weeds of, of, of everything. And um, at the end of the call, I asked him to come in and speak to the designers. He did, it was great. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I really wanted to pull off a merch um, item, um, but there was a lot of skepticism around it um, um, for good reason. You know, Joe is 78 years old and, and um, you know, to make it a shirt in, in collaboration with somebody who was with Donda for a decade, um, uh, so it's a it's a real important decision to make, um, especially on a campaign when everything is highly you know susceptible to you know being made fun of or you know anything. And mm -hmm. 
uh, honestly, we started that process in, I think, May of last year, and it didn't come out until October. Um, and it was a, it was a, by the time it came out, it was a very, very purposeful piece of, of work. And I was so proud to have worked with Joe on it. I mean, he, he did such an incredible job um, and really helped um, work through sort of the political minutiae to even pull it off. Um, and that was a technical constraint because, you know, we only worked with union printers and getting the right tie-dye with union printers in the United States is like a whole technical problem to solve and the right ink base and the right sort of component. Um, so there's that part of it that you had to solve. Um, there was the cultural component that you had to solve and, and just make sure it could be you know, sort of um, appreciated and not, um, you know, made fun of. And um, there was sort of a ton of pieces that that came to, to making um, that world stage t-shirt. And, uh, you know, initially I'm, I'm giving you the full story here because it was no, such this a- is great. <laughs> so much shit happened on this t-shirt. Um, <laughs> um, we initially, um, you know, had a few variations and we we're going to do like uh, two or three shirts and just drop it as a collection. Um, and then eventually like the Anna Winter collection was coming up and, you know, we had been partnering with Bear Wing and Tycoon and um, it made sense to roll Perez into that um, uh, Anna Winter collection and, you know, very terrified being on emails with Anna Winter, <laughs> especially when, you know, <laughs> I'm sort of sitting here, I'm like, I really hope she vibes with this. And then, and shout out to, to Joe for helping us through this process. Um, but, you know, Anna was really susceptible and like really appreciative of the work. And, um, you know, we put it out and sold out pretty immediately. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was remarkable to see, you know, Aisha Curry and Haley Bieber wearing them in like authentic ways. Um, you know, it, when we were knee deep into the production, production of that shirt, I remember there was one night I couldn't sleep and um, very late at night, I sent Joe like a 40 paragraph email about authenticity, about like how we, we couldn't make fun of it. Like, I felt like if we had done that shirt and it was humorous and we would get killed for it and rightfully so. And so, I, you know, I just sent him this like huge email. I was like, like, it has to be authentic. It has to be pure. We can't make fun of this culture. Like, like. Like, there's a reason, you know, why, you know, we're doing this with the person who, like, helped define the culture of, of, of this style of, of fashion. And, you know, Joe is really on board and he brought the most incredible ideas to the table and, you know, was able to, to work on, you know, this idea of a, a sort of a world stage shirt, which was sort of like a world tour, um, but riffed off with policy and, um you know, seeing him push decimal and mercury as typefaces, seeing him push iconography. Um, I just was uh, stunned by his work. And um, I, I just think the world of, of Joe Perez, he's, he's a gem. Yeah. That's so great to find those like, you know, collaborators along the way yeah. that become such impactful people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So speaking of impact, um, here at Buck, we aspire to make an impact, not just on creative, but also on culture, which obviously you do tenfold. Um, and your direction for the Biden-Harris campaign has obviously profoundly impacted our society and, frankly, our standards. And so we just want to know, when did you decide to come on board with the campaign and what drove you to get involved? Uh, July 17th, 2018. Um, oh. <laughs> I made the call. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, so 2018, I was really floundering with my life. Um, I mean, 
2016, I was working in big tech when, when Trump was elected. And, um, you know, I very much remember the day he was elected and being in this office with people who really weren't paying attention and like, were just like, kind of like caked into their computers. And it really bothered me. And it's it upset me like to my core that that's what was happening. And um, that night I watched the results come in at a pizza bar in Seattle and got like real drunk. And um, uh, it was just sad. And, you know, in 2017 and, and part of 2018, I was really, you know, was going through this existential crisis about like what it means to make work and why we bother to do it. And, you know, I didn't even feel like a designer anymore. I thought the whole thing was a sham. Like I, I just, I really, you know, I fell out of love with making things and um, uh, I was not fun to be around. I mean, like anybody who, who knew me at that time knew me, I was, I was just sort of like, just really sort of bummed out about doing anything um, because it just felt like it didn't matter. And um, in, in 2018, my life collapsed. I, I drank a lot and um, landed in a rehab and, uh, um, you know, uh, met my sponsor and, um, yeah, July, July, uh, 17th, 2018 is when I got sober. And I remember my first conversation with my sponsor and, um, uh, quite literally, she was like, what are your goals for sobriety? And I was like, I want to help elect the next president in the United States. And yes. she was just kind of like, <laughs> she was kind of like, well, you know, one thing at a time. And I was like, no, I'm gonna elect this. Like, this is like, <laughs> Um, but I knew I was, I was very, very headstrong on, on that. And, uh, yeah, I would say that day, you know, A, I started to work on myself very intensely, but B, I really started to focus on the election. And, um, um, that is when I started to lay the groundwork for, um, for everything. Yeah. Wow. That, I mean, talk about manifesting that's. That's amazing. I, I have such admiration for making yeah. that happen on such a huge scale. Yeah. All right. So, so as far as Buck goes, we're a team of over 300, I think now, passionate, creative people that want to use our own power, design, and otherwise for good. Um, so what should we be doing to help inspire design for good and for impact both within Buck, but also in our industry at large? It's a good question. Um... Do something, you know. I think that uh, um, sometimes we can get sort of caught in the weeds on what it should be or how to make it perfect or anything. Um, and in the middle of that process, you just end up doing nothing. Um, and you know, the biggest thing I, I, I noticed in politics was the more you get out of your way, the more you can do good work. And if you um, if you stay in your way, then you're not going to do anything that's that's real good. So. Um, yeah, I would say make a lot. Um, um, for me, like, it's, yeah, it's, yes, I, like, I guess for me, it's like, yeah, there was, I was the creative director on a presidential campaign that won, and it was, it was great, but, you know, prior to that was 10 years of fucking bad work, <laughs> like, really <laughs> bad work that was not good and nobody liked <laughs> and um, we all hate our past work right? yeah, like, yeah. It was, it was 10 years <laughs> of really bad stuff that it was really embarrassing and um you know that 10 years of bad stuff got me in position to even do the the good stuff so you know the i guess the biggest thing is yeah just get out of your way like you know if you stare at a blank document forever it's gonna still be blank um so 
um yeah whatever it is just do something yeah. i love that okay so in this time of isolation we've been in lockdown for a year now over a year um after all of this intense introspection societal upheaval where do you look for inspiration now um basically where i always have um gus van zandt um you know i i'm such a nerd of gus van zandt's work um uh he's like one of my favorite directors of all time i studied his work inside and out um you know drugstore cowboy in my own private idaho elephant um gary like all these sort of classic films that gus has mm -hmm. made um um, I get inspired by him probably more than, than any other artist, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I get a ton from, from film and books, um, you know, whatever I'm reading at the time generally finds a way to, to trickle in. Um, I don't look at much designers to just be, yeah, like I don't really think about design. Um, I don't really look at designers work. Um, and I think it's, it's like, I think there's a couple reasons. One is like, I've just seen a lot. Two is like, I don't want to make things that look like them. So I just don't look at their work. Um, and um, that gives me like a better breadth of references. Um, so yeah, I mean, what I, what I'm always inspired by is, you know, Gus Van Zandt, Francois Truffaut, um, Alma Harrell, uh, um, those directors, Hanya Yanagihara as a writer, I think is like one of my favorites of all time. Um, um yeah anything in that vein um jenny holzer was a huge you know artist that i, I really respect um all the correlation um yeah all them yeah those are the good ones awesome okay so here's the million dollar question what's next after you've directed a successful presidential campaign yeah. it sounds like you are starting a new endeavor yeah um doing a couple things at the moment um First is I launched an agency, a studio called uh, Studio Gradients. Um, it's myself, Eric, Anna, and Asia from the campaign. Um, so yeah, we are sort of continuing the work that we had already been doing. Um, it's really great for a few reasons, one of which is that we all know each other already and, and know how we work and, and know how we like to work. Um, um, that's a huge component to why we're able to, 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 to run the studio. Um, it also gives us a chance to continue continue on like democratic politics and and also bridge out into a couple other areas of interest um um and it's fun to sort of like have our own voice like you know even making that studio gradient site you know um frivolous decisions like color pickers and the scrolling you know uh lyrics to songs that we like or handwritten components like um everything in biden world was was very tight it was so system oriented and so down to the to, to the finest grain um you know studio gradients gives us a chance to um um have our own voice and and, and really push that in an exciting way um so that's number one and uh, number two is when i'm not doing that i'm uh, in the middle of writing a memoir and uh uh that's my nights so yeah days of studio nights is writing bringing a little bit of yourself to both fronts. Yeah. And actually, this is a perfect segue. We have a question submitted by one of our buckers around writing. So this is a perfect a moment to bring that in. So our question, how has your writing practice informed your design practice and vice versa? Your essays are so compelling, much love. Thanks. 
Um, yeah, I mean, and I guess there's a few ways. Um, there's the technical way, which is like the nerdy way, which is just like, um, you know, I think I think when I was initially doing a lot of design, I was very protective of the work I was doing. Um, you sort of own your own files. You look at it yourself. Like you don't really let anybody in on the process. Um, and then you deliver like this final product. And you know, with writing, it's a very very collaborative process with with an editor. And um, you know, having worked with a lot of great editors at this point, like you know. I, I think when I first started writing, I was really terrified about an editor being in a Google Doc with me, like looking at things that I'd written. Mm -hmm. And what I came to find was it was really joyous to be able to collaborate in a doc together. And um, and it, it's not scrutinizing. They, they just want to make the pros better. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, with design, Figma is a really great example of a tool that enables you to mm -hmm. do that. Um, you know we ran the campaign's entire design system on Figma and, um, you know, to onboard 25 people in there was really fun, but um, where it really shined was in debates, was in rapid response moments where, you know, we all needed a ping pong back and forth on, you know, 30 different things at a time. And um, I think that process of editor to writer really translated well to sort of creative direction and design. Um, um, and that technical component was, was, was a huge bit to it. Um, and then structurally just, um, you know, I, there was this point in 2015 where like everyone talked about designers should code or whatever. I can't code. I just don't, I might try it. I don't think that way. I don't, I don't really care about it. Um, uh, but what I, what I did is I learned how to write and <laughs> code um and uh i'm glad i did and um yeah i mean i just like uh it helps me understand story just so much better mm -hmm. i mean you know um writing is the essence of everything it just is like every film that i love it started off with writing every you know piece of art started off with somebody writing about it somebody you know whatever it is like it all it all started writing and um um, once you understand that, the desire to become a really strong writer becomes like really intense because you realize it's just only going to make everything else stronger. Um, uh, you'll understand story better. You'll understand pacing, narrative, um, um, rhythm, and prose. Like you just, um, you, you, it really sort of influences every bit of, of things that you want to do. Um, so for me, writing was was great for the technical aspect of you know a writer to editor relationship but it was also great just to understand the pacing of a story that was being told um, um especially on the campaign where everything that we do is so oriented around time and comms um, um knowing when you're delivering specific things it's almost like um you know it's almost like a a, a, a restaurant experience right like i use this metaphor sometimes where it's like you know i i really want to deliver like a three-star Michelin restaurant when, when you come and see stuff that I've made and you know part of that is the experience of like this is the first course this is the second course this is the third course this is how each course should taste and how they should um uh correspond with each other and collaborate with with your taste buds um and so much of that stuff comes from writing um so yeah I, I try to bring that into some of the design it's a I real nerdy answer no no that's it's a great answer it all starts with a story yeah. Uh, it has to it has to taste taste just the right way. I love it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Okay, so 
we have reached the final round. Um, mm -hmm. For this, for the, to round things out for our interview together, we have a quick rapid fire round for you. So just answer with the first thing that comes to mind. It's not long, but are you ready? Bring it on. All right. Currently reading. Um, I am reading, oh fuck, what's the title of that book? Um, <laughs> reading Model Citizen by uh, Joshua Moore. I just finished um, Sophomores by Sean Desmond, but yeah, those two. Awesome. Song stuck on repeat right now. My friend Chris just sent me a song like literally three hours ago. Um, and uh, I've listened to that song four times since he sent it. We, uh, my friend Chris and I, I'm um, gonna do such a bad job at this rapid thing, but um, my friend Chris and I were always working on songs and um, you know, he sends me over stuff and, and I send him over stuff. But um, yeah, he sent me this song earlier this morning. Um, and um, they're really good. So yeah, he sent me like four that are all eight minutes long. Um, so I'm in the process of listening to them and seeing if we want to do something with that. Um, I forget the title, but it's really good. Uh, well, I hope we get to hear it sometime. Yeah. And then a song that people are actually listening to. Um, uh, I would say I am listening to few things. Um, one is Milk Thistle by Connor Overs. I know it's, I think we're all over the emo thing, but like, I really love that song. I think it's a great song. Um, I'm listening to a lot of King Princess. Um, uh, and uh, I'm listening to uh, a lot of Claro too. All right. All right. So something that gives you hope. Um, my mom, she's a real strong woman. It's always a solid answer in my book. Yeah. <laughs> um, what you're looking forward to most? Um, finishing everything. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm really looking forward to finishing the book. I'm looking forward to finishing sort of the first wave of the studio and and, and figuring out where it stands. Um, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to like a couple things finishing so I can have some newer beginnings setting those goalposts and getting yeah. to them. I think I made a semi-sonic reference there, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Your ultimate collaboration. Oh man, um, that's Van Zandt. Um, <laughs> he's such a god to me. Um, uh, beyond Gus Van Zandt, I'd love to collab with, um, geez, Donald Glover, you know, Frank mm -hmm. Ocean. Um, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was listening to Channel Orange earlier this morning, and um, that album's like one of the best things that's ever made in, in the world. So, um, yeah, Frank, give me a call. <laughs> yeah. Current obsession. Um, uh, anything, just like currently what I'm obsessed with. Um, mm -hmm. Letterbox. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd a lot. Um, it's that app that documents films that you're watching. Um, I, I check it religiously. Um, uh, um, so it's like a great diary to um, um, check things and, and, and learn about new films. Um, uh, also, um, this is really good. I had one, but I lost it. Oh, chess. Play a lot of chess. Oh yeah, I've I've yeah. seen your posts about chess. It sounds like yeah. you're 
quite the player, actually. Yeah, I play speed chess, um, uh, where you play like blitz minute long games. Um, so you have like each person has a minute basically to make all their moves. Um, and you're playing against two things. One is the clock, one's the player. Um, but yeah, I probably played like a thousand games of chess last year. Um, like I played wow. like a ton of chess, yeah. Wow. All right. So last, last quick question, which you might've touched on already a little bit, yeah. but where do you always return for inspiration? Um, oh, a few places. Um, uh, if ever I'm stuck, I will either watch like a, um, James Murphy interview, or I'll watch like an Aaron Sorkin interview or I'll go to the cafe and talk to somebody. And those three things usually will unstick me at, at some point or other. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, Robin, that's that's it for, for us at Buck. Thank you so much for taking the time to come yeah. share with us. This was amazing. And we appreciate your insights. And I'm personally very excited to see what you do next with Studio Gradient. So yeah, pal, I miss you. I miss you too. Thank you so much, Robin. And thanks everybody for tuning in. Yeah. Cheers. See ya. Thanks for listening to Banter. Thanks to our guest, Robin Kanner, and this episode's host, Marla Moore. Thanks also to Ant Food, who created our original music. Check them out at antfood.com. Banter is produced by Buck a global creative company that brings brands, stories, and experiences to life through art, design, and technology. Learn more at buck.co.